morning, everyone. Junior church, you don't have junior church. So make sure you have a um, kids bulletin in the back, and then we'll get you some candy if you fill that out. So uh, a few things that were mentioned so far this morning that um, Jen said, if you're not awake now, you will be after those first few songs. And the title of this sermon is, Wake Up! So we're seeing a little theme here, um, and this is a true story. Actually, it's not, so I just had to say that. But there was a man who kept falling asleep in church because he felt his preacher was long-winded. This pastor got so agitated about it that he gave one of the deacons a stick to go over. And when this guy fell asleep, he was to knock him on the head to wake him back up. So once this man fell asleep, the, he started dozing off in the sermon again, and so this deacon reached over and smacked him on the head. Nothing happened. And so while the preacher's preaching, he looks and he pointed at the deacon, so he hit him again. Nothing happened. The guy didn't move. And so the, the deacon says, well, I'm going to really wake him up this time. He hit him so hard, this man fell out of the seat and into the aisle. At this point, everybody's looking to see what happened, and the guy says, I can still hear him preach and hit me again. Yeah. I told this story before, this next one. This one is a true story, a guy named Orville. Uh, He was 97 at the time, and Orville frequently fell asleep in church. And at that age, no one bothered him except for his wife, Lou. It was common to see him just start nodding off. He'd fold his arms like this, like some of you guys do. And then he would just drift off. Well, it was normal for him to do that, and she would elbow him, like I see some of you ladies do. And he would jerk up and pay attention. Well, this time, she did it. Nothing happened. And he's 97. And so she starts doing it again, and then she leans down and is looking in his face. And in my head, I'm preaching, and I'm going, Orville just died. What am I going to do? And I'm still preaching, trying to figure this out. And, I mean, she's even concerned. She puts her hand under his face, and I'm thinking, she can't feel his breath. And she hits him one more time, and all of a sudden he goes, I'm awake, woman! That is a true story. Today we start the end of the book of Acts. Paul is focused from this point on to where God has called him, to his destination, which is Rome. Rome at this point, the center of the world. And Paul is commissioned to go share the message of Christ in Rome, thereby enabling the people to take that message to the rest of the known world. When we go on a journey, what we like to do, like most people like to do, is prepare things. They they like to plan. They take a, a quick survey to go over all the things that are going on. This event, this quick event we're going to look at here in Acts seems out of place. As we begin this destination Rome, this event that we're going to look at in Acts is like, why is this here? And yet, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Luke made sure to record that, this event. So, it is here for a purpose. We're in chapter 20, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Paul is in his third missionary journey now, and he's traveled around twice before to various cities. 
Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel of Christ. He baptized people. He planted churches. He taught and trained the leaders. And in this journey, we see he has that new destination, which is Rome. And it's going to focus how he reacts and um, does his ministry. So starting in verse 6, after the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia. After five days later, joined, um, and five days later, joined them in Troas, where we stayed a week. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Real quick, I don't ever want to hear anybody complain again about how long someone's sermons are. Because he preached till midnight. You got it? All right. So Paul and his companions, it says they celebrated Passover. This is very interesting. He's going out to the Jews, but yet he is, or he's going out to the Gentiles, but yet he is still purposely not turning his back on the Jews or the heritage there. After they celebrate Passover, they, they sail to Troas. The believers were faithful to gather for worship on the Lord's Day. And these believers were faithful on that. In this passage, it's obviously evening because of the rest of verse 7 says, Paul preached until midnight. When the first day of the week, we need to remember back in this time period, the first day, the day started around 6 p.m. on Saturday. That was beginning of Sunday morning. And so he preached till midnight, which means, let's say church service started around 8. That's only five hours. So it's not like an all day, but it's five hours, not 45 minutes. It's five hours there. That means they had, and so this means the first day of the week started on what we call Saturday night. That means they had all Saturday daytime to think about the upcoming church service. They made sure to get their responsibilities completed for the day. They were able to prepare their mind all day for that Saturday evening or Sunday service. The thing we want to see first here is the faithfulness of these people to come together with a focus, a destination that they were coming together for worship and fellowship. Hebrews 10 says this in verse 24, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As the day of the Lord, meaning the end, when Jesus returns... The writer of Hebrews tells people, don't forsake, don't neglect coming together. See, we need to be faithful to gather with God's people, to hear the word being preached, to worship with one another, and to pray. That's what Paul is saying here. Even after all of his Jewish backgrounds, he still made sure to uphold that and then come together. He's not forsaking his heritage. He's incorporating it, saying this is even the, the better fulfillment of that. Notice something else at the end of verse 7. First day of the week, we gathered with local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. He was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Okay, so John Prosser did a communion meditation a while ago, and he 
made mention that he had a long-winded preacher. Some of you others have said the same thing, and I, I get teased about that. But remember, this was only a five-hour sermon. It wasn't all day like some. But then I found this quote, and I want you to hear this quote. J.W. Byrne, which I couldn't find a lot about him, but he said this. The most popular preachers have not been short preachers, not talking height. Witness, um, witnesses, Christendom, Henry Smith, Whitfield, James, Parsons, Cushion, Lydon, Spurgeon, Knox. What he's saying is all the well-known, all the great influential preachers, all the ones who really caused a big impact, preached for a long time. So you're welcome. Sometimes people wonder why preachers are long-winded. So in defense of myself and the brothers who preach the word week after week, I want to offer just real quick two reasons why sometimes we get long-winded. First, there is so much to say. There is so much to say it's very hard to keep it to three quick points, a poem, and then a nice little closing. The Bible is full of so much information, insight, and direction. There's so much to say about what God has given us, what God has shown us, that it is so hard to bring that sermon down into a tight little package. I was talking to a minister friend of mine once, and he was doing these radio spots. He had 30 seconds on the radio. And he had to bring it. He goes, Donnie, you don't understand how hard it is to bring it down to 30 seconds. And I tried a little bit just to do it and time myself. I sounded like an auctioneer. Trying to say as much as I could. So there is so much to say. That's the first reason. Secondly, we get excited. We get so excited about what we have studied and that we want to share it with people. You can't get us to stop. My wife gets to hear the sermon three or four times, just so you know. I learned something on Tuesday, and I can't wait to tell somebody I write it in the sermon, but i got to tell someone now. I get so excited, I tell her. And we ride to work together many times at home, so she never gets a break. And then she has to hear it again on Monday when she's putting it into the, the videos that are going online and add all this stuff. She's hearing it so much, and she's constantly saying, do you really love this, don't you? I get excited about what I've studied. When I've learned something new, I can't wait to share it with you. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. I think that's the way Paul was. When he got a chance to preach, he would use as much time as he could to explain as much of the gospel to help as many people as possible come to know Jesus. Paul always had a sermon in his heart. He was always ready to share the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Well, that's what Paul's saying. He says, I can't help it. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, it's not going to be up there, but it says, If I don't speak in his word, his word becomes a burning fire within my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And the whole thing, that's one of my life verses. I love that verse. What he's saying is, I have his word so much in me that I can't stop it from spilling out. That's 
why so many preachers get long-winded. You can't just contain all that excitement, all that knowledge and, and information that God is wanting to pour into just 30 minutes. So just as a tidbit, don't set your clock by the, the sermon. But with that, I can ask each of you to do something. Pray for me. Don't pray for shorter sermons. Just don't do that. But actually pray that I would preach soul-stirring, life-changing messages that challenge all of us and help us to think about what God wants to change and grow in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for anybody who's preaching on that. When I am preparing a sermon, I always think about how you guys are going to receive it. I wonder who's going to be convicted. I wonder who's going to be challenged. I wonder if I'm speaking clearly um, because of my upbringing, my genetics. I've got this fat tongue that doesn't move right all the time, and so I will say something that's odd or comes out weird, and I'm always worried about that that I'm going to say something and it's going to come out wrong. I want to make sure. This, there's another thing that Paul had to worry about after this sermon, and there's something I've wondered about. It happened to Paul that night. Look at verses 8 and 9. The upstairs room where they met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, notice that, he spoke on and on. Even Luke's saying, yeah, he, he could have shortened it up. A young man named Eutychus, sitting in the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Yeah. I see when you fall asleep. You don't hide it very well, okay? I've seen some guys kind of go like this. I saw one guy do this, holding his eye open. I can see it. You're not hiding it, okay? I see your head fall. I see your mouth drop, okay? And then I see the person next to you elbow you, and you jerk away. It's not very hidden, okay? Andrew Fuller was a great preacher of the gospel and wrote several books that are considered classics in Christian literature today. One time when he was preaching, he observed several in his congregation dozing off even at the beginning of the sermon. He banged his huge pulpit three times with the Bible loudly. He says, asleep already? I mean, he yelled it real loud. I often fear I preach you asleep and grieve over it, but the fault isn't mine because you're already asleep before I start. When I read this, see, I, I just stirred up the baby. When I read this, I asked myself, why did Eutychus fall asleep? What caused that? There's a number of reasons he could have fallen asleep that evening. Remember, this is Saturday evening, not bright, what we'd call Sunday morning. Um, Eutychus could have been a servant that was required to work long hours all that day. And therefore, he arrived at church exhausted, which means you can't really blame him for being tired. In fact, he should be commended for making sure he was there despite the fact he was tired. He's in this upper room, and it's dark outside. There are a lot of people in there. 
people, we, we forget. We walk into this building and we're like, ooh, it's chilly in here. And then we get a hundred or more of us and all of a sudden it's hot. Okay? And, and we forget that. And it's all, I'm sweating already in here because it's hot in here. Now, you make it an all day at the end of the night service, okay? And then you add a bunch because it said there were a bunch of flickering lamps. What do candles provide? Light and heat. And so you got a bunch of these people crammed in this upper room. He's been working all day, and now it's warm. And the preacher's going on and on and on. He moves to try and stay awake. He goes, sits by the window. This is key. Why would he go there? Because there's a cool breeze. It'll help wake him up. My dad's a truck driver. And sometimes when he's driving, and this is scary for me, he gets tired. And so he rolls down the window while it's snowing just to get it cold in there so it keeps him awake. That's what this guy is doing to get a cool breeze to help him stay awake. When I was in my last year of college, I turned four years into five. Um, I worked third shift at Walmart, along with a 17-credit-hour um, week of college. So I was, I was either in class, sleeping in between, or at work. That whole year is kind of a blur. When I'd get home on Sunday morning, because I always worked Saturday nights, I, I was out of ministry for just that year because I had to work so much. I was so tired, I would get home, shower, change clothes, eat something, and we'd rush off to church. And I fought, stayed awake, especially during some of those communion meditations. Because some of those guys who meant well, they just spoke with a monotone. And they spoke real slow, and then they asked us to close our eyes and think. which I had to give an elbow a few times. And then if the sermon was slow and it was warm in there, and I was just tired, my eyelids would drop. And each time, you just know that feeling, you're, they're closing and you're trying to keep them open, but they stay down a little longer. And then you raise your eyebrows as much as you can to lift them up. And you're thinking you're being subtle, but the whole time the preacher's going, oh my, here goes another one. I totally understand why this um, Eutychus could fall asleep, if that's the case. If he was exhausted from a full day of work, it was a very warm room. It was late at night. So I'd like to have two thoughts about that. First, we should honor the Lord's Day. Eutychus did. He honored the Lord's Day. I know we're not under the Mosaic Law, and therefore don't we have strictly orders, observe the Sabbath or the Christian replacements that Sunday. But the idea of a special day set aside to worship and honor God corporately as a church goes even before the law. It fits in with everything that's in the Scripture with Jesus' instructions to seek first his kingdom and God, of God, his righteousness. So though I'm not laying down legalistic practices. I'm not saying you have to do these things to be a good Christian. 
But I think I am well within mainline Christian thought to say we should do some of these things and change. Um, to have a difference of perspective and priority for when we come together corporately. So we should honor the Lord's Day. Secondly, we should prepare. I think we really should prepare for the Lord's Day. When your kids are in school and they're going to have these big tests, what do you do? You go to bed early. You make sure they have a good breakfast so they're not cranky. You, you make sure, hey, you know what, it's going to be tight, so let's go ahead and lay your clothes out early so that way we don't have to fuss and fight about it that day. To the Jews, the day began at sundown, the evening before. For Jewish Christians, the Lord's Day really began Saturday evening. What if we continued that? When the sun starts going down, we start preparing for the service, which we're going to have the next morning. So Saturday evening, start thinking about how to prepare for service, for the Lord's Day. Three things that I read this week that we should prepare for is first spiritually. Spend some time in the Word and pray Saturday night and even Sunday morning. I, when I read that, I was like, that's a no-brainer. Why aren't we, as Christians, going before we go to bed, pray for service the next morning? Why aren't we reading Scripture and saying, God, prepare my heart to meet with you? as the rest of my church family comes together, preparing spiritually, going ahead and reading Scripture. And, and Sunday morning, don't wait to get your God fix by coming to church. Why don't we start? We wake up, drink your coffee, and read and pray. Prepare yourself spiritually. Second, prepare yourself physically. Get plenty of rest on Saturday night. One of the commentaries I was reading, it said this, one doubtless needs a fair amount of sleep, but during the sermon is not the time to seek such refreshment. The house of God was never intended for a dormitory. I was like, ah, thinking back to when I was falling asleep, working third shift. Get plenty of rest. Go to bed early. We raise our kids. And they, this isn't a pat on my back. This is just something I was raised by. You get one night a week to stay up late. That's Friday night. Because Saturday night, you go to bed early so we can go to church. And I know so many people will stay at Saturday night. They can stay up as long as they want. But are we going to be physically ready for church? So don't stay up late watching TV or um, don't stay up visiting friends. Don't stay up reading an interesting book unless it's the Bible. Go to bed at a decent hour so you can be refreshed and ready physically. So spiritually, be prepared physically and third, practically. Just basic practicality. There are mornings when we have board meetings or elders meetings before church. Do you know what I do the night before? I set my clothes out in the, in the bathroom so that I don't have to go looking around. I'm already going to have a shorter time frame in the morning to get prepared and everything, so I start setting the clothes. If you know you're going to wear something that needs iron, don't wait till Sunday morning to do it. Go ahead and try it that night. Um, give the kids the bath on Saturday night. Get your Bible and a pad of paper ready Saturday night so when you're waking up, you can grab it. Here's, here's another thought. Think ahead and think it takes this many minutes to get to church. So we're going to leave that many minutes plus 10. That means if you come to a train, which can happen in this area, 
a horse and buggy or something else, you're still here on time. Or add 30 minutes so you can come together and have a little fellowship and be prepared this way. How many times do we hurry through breakfast, shouting at the kids to hurry up, yelling from the car, we need to get going, screaming and arguing all the way to church, why'd you take this road, the other way would have been faster, and then we get here and we're like, I'm happy, we're exhausted, we're hungry, we're frustrated, but we're here. It's no wonder people aren't ready to worship. It's no wonder we aren't really connecting at times with God. Because we haven't done our part to prepare ourselves. Um, They need two hours at church just to unwind before they can connect with God sometimes. I heard a guy say he has to get ready for church an hour early just so he can unwind to be prepared to meet with God and God's people. And dealing with this, I, w- I want to say something, and this is said really, really in love. We're not always going to like each other in, in church, okay? And so I'm not asking you to fake it, but how much better would we be if we prepared? And I'm going to have to see that person again. So why don't I pray for them first? Why don't I read out some scriptures first? Why don't I think... Isn't it better that God doesn't think, oh, here he comes again into church. I've got to meet with him. Instead of, yes, I'm glad God accepts me and them. They come together on that. So that was just a side sermon on being prepared for church. Another reason why um, Eutychus could have fallen asleep is that maybe... Not just the heat, not just he was tired. Maybe he was indifferent to the things of God. Maybe he was indifferent and therefore he really didn't care. He didn't care to listen to Paul's preaching and he fell asleep out of boredom or indifference. And if that's the case, it really is a spiritual problem. It is his personal spiritual problem that became a physical problem for him. Paul tells us in Rome 13, Romans 13, 11, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He wrote this after this event here with um, Eutychus. If Eutychus had been awake spiritually, he might have been able to stay awake spiritually. Wait, did I say that wrong? If he had been awake spiritually, he might have been able to stay awake physically. If he had his mind, his heart, and everything engaged, focused on God spiritually, then his body would react to that. If that was his problem, because he wasn't mentally prepared, it meant his heart and his mind wasn't right with God. Thankfully, I've never had somebody fall asleep and die in a sermon. I thought it was going to be Orville that one time. But I haven't had that. Look what happened, though, when uh, Eutychus fell three stories. In case you were wondering, he just fell and got bruised up. It was three stories, 30 feet to his death. Starting in verse 10 there in Acts 20. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. And they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. And here's my favorite part. Paul continued talking to them 
until dawn. And then he left. So Paul brought Eutychus back from the dead, imitating Elisha's procedure in restoring the Shumanite's woman's son who died. He stretched himself up and miraculously brought him back to life. Paul is preaching the word of God here. He is preaching about real life. And God gave him a literal, physical example to go from. You wanted all this life. Remember, Jews, you had all my instructions. You had all, you had me yourself, and you rejected me and chose death. But I came in the form of Jesus and laid upon you so that my glories came upon you, that my perfectness came upon you and raised you back to life. And you Gentiles, guess what? It's the same thing. Oh, look, Eutychus just fell. Let's show you. He, he's giving them a full example. Paul gives a real-life illustration of the life-giving message of Christ. Because Paul was prepared, he was able to share this real message of Christ. Now, as a side note, I said he preached maybe five hours, right? From eight till midnight. Then Eutychus falls and dies. He restores him to life. And then what happened? They go back upstairs, have communion, and Paul continued preaching until dawn. When does the sun come up? Somewhere between six-ish, seven-ish. He's already preached five hours-ish. We got another five to six more hours of him going on and on. That's my favorite part. There you have it, the story in the Bible of a man who fell asleep in church, a situation that some of us can really relate to in one degree or another. But it's not just a humorous story. It is in here for a purpose, for, for us to learn from. And one of the things, we need to be faithful to meet with one another. When we come together as a church, there's excitement, there's compassion, there's joy. During the whole um, lockdown or lockout or, or whatever else you want to call it, we were separated and, and it really drained us. And yet when we started coming back together, it fueled us. When we come together, you can see a joy and excitement, so don't neglect that. Um, second, understand the urgency and the passion of, of your preacher's heart. Don't pray that I preach shorter sermons, but really pray that I preach the right sermons. Pray that, that whoever is up here, whether, I don't care who it is, but who is ever up here would preach powerful, penetrating, soul-stirring, spirit-filled messages. And when I get animated, when I get loud, this is just so cool to me. And I want you to see it. So think, please think of that. And third, be prepared. Be prepared for when we come together. And especially if you're dealing with a spiritual battle, a, a barrier that is hindering your walk, that is preventing you from experiencing the full and unfettered worship and reception of the word of truth. There are people right now in this room who are dealing with sins. All of us. And so many times we keep looking at the sin and the sin that pulls us, pulls us out of the room where God is speaking. 
and we focus on that death, that destruction, that unworthiness. And we need to come back and remember He woke us up. He brought us out of that death. And He raised us into new life. Maybe you're lukewarm in your faith. Go through the motions. Maybe it's not a major sin per se, but you've just let the cares of this life crowd God and and all things of Him out. In Revelations 2, they're asked, the church in Ephesus, have you lost your first love? Jesus told that church how to restore that first love. He says, have you lost it? And then he gives them how to do it. Revelation 2, 5. Look how far you have fallen. Remember of Eutychus. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Let's just be real. I mean, just blunt honest here. Many Christians and churches have fallen asleep. They're sitting in the windowsill and they just fell. They're plummeting towards death. And it, it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus just said it right here. He's giving us his prescription. Jesus' prescription is very simple. First, look back from where you have fallen. Turn back. Remember where you were. Remember where it was that you lost your way. Maybe you stopped reading your Bible or spending time in prayer or you stopped sharing your faith. Maybe you started cobbling a a bad habit that you knew was wrong and you've let it overtake you. Go back to where you first started. Go back to where sin was defeated. Go back to the cross. And remember the sweetness and the love of Christ, the joy that came when he took it all away. Jesus says, remember. Secondly, repent. Just go to God in prayer and admit, I'm wrong. Tell him you're sorry. And third, do the first works. That's what the scripture says. Do what you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. Remember when you first became a Christ follower. You couldn't stop reading your Bible. You couldn't keep your mouth shut about God. You prayed all the time. You, you had a constant sense of his presence in your life. And as soon as you did sin, you would feel convicted. And immediately you, you um, confessed it and turned away from that. What happens? I, I get to do counseling. Premarital counseling is fun. Um, but marriage counseling, one of the main things is we're just out of touch with each other. And I think this same thing that Jesus said to the church should be done in our own lives. Remember, go back to that first love. Do you remember when you would just kind of reach out and touch their hand and those sizzling sparks would be, and and you'd hold their hand and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's holding my hand. The excitement of that. Some of you are like, That's silly, but you're thinking of it, and I can see the dopey grin. Go back to that. Scripture says, think back to the love of your youth. Go back to why you loved her and bring that to the forefront. Think about that. Remember that. Repent of, you know what, I haven't done a good job. Tell them, I haven't done a great job. And to show you, I'm going to go back. What did you do? Yeah. I was a dork to my wife. I still am, but 
we were high school sweethearts. And in art class, I would draw stuff and give it to her. Oh, it's so sweet. I made a little mountain and carved her name in it and different things. Stupid. I, I had this little key that came from my grandma's sewing cabinet. It was a singer, those wooden ones. It was a beautiful key. And, um, and I talked with her, and Grandma says, yeah, remember that Jesus is the key to your heart? Well, I, I gave that to my, my girlfriend and said, you have the key to my heart. I used to write her poetry. I was so sweet. Now I say, can you give me a water? Get <laughs> yourself, yeah. We do this in our own relationships. How much more do we need to remember this in our relationship with God? Okay, go back to that first love. Repent of failing at it and do the first works. The more you start reading, I will guarantee this. The more you start reading God's word, the more you're going to remember and fall in love with him. The more you are spending time with him in prayer, the more you're going to see him moving actively in your life and in those around you. And it's not a guarantee for me. It's actually in Scripture. You do these things. Return to me and I will return to you. What happened? We lost that first love. So let's go back and do those things again. Jesus tells you in this verse, do the first works and don't go to sleep spiritually. Romans 13, 11, it says this. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Remember, Eutychus, it's late. You know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. It is time for us as a church to wake up, to not sit in the windowsill, to not fall down, but to actually wake up and get back into the fold, to get back into the action of the church. It's time to get going. So let's do that. We're going to stand. We're going to sing, which means we're going back into the throne room of God. We're going to lift up our hearts, lift up our voices, and tell him how awesome he is. If you need to make a decision, just know I'm going to be in the back. If you want to come and talk to me about anything, we'll grab an elder and we'll pray with you on any of that. But let's make the decision to wake up spiritually and live this life. Amen.